Welcome to the latest podcast in the Workplace series from the People Mentor, Nicola Richardson. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the latest podcast from Nicola at the People Mentor. Today, I'm interviewing Jane Rawlins, whose business is Camino. 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 I keep saying it wrong, <laughs> HR. I have a terrible problem with uh, names if you listen every week. <laughs> So, welcome Jane. Tell us a bit about your business first, what it is and how long it's been going. Hi Nicola. Okay, so Camino, (laughs) um, which is the way we pronounce it, and it comes from uh, Camino de Santiago, uh, which is the pilgrimage route to um, Santiago in Spain. And Camino means path or way in Spanish. So... Camino is your way to HR support. Oh, right. The path that you need to follow to do the best for your human resources. Yeah. That's, that's why I it's like Camino. I like it. That's why it's Camino. Yeah, Camino. We did We did the last 100 kilometres of the Camino back in 2005. Wow. And so when I was looking for a new name for the business, when I rebranded it 10 years ago, it just said everything I wanted. So that's why we're Camino. So we're Camino HR. If you... You know when you have to tick boxes to say what your business is? Yeah. You usually fall into the category of HR consultancy. But I don't particularly like being a consultant. That's not what we are. We're about supporting businesses to manage their human resources. Yeah. Uh, So I think of consultants as flying in, doing a piece of work and backing out again. Yeah. Uh, We don't. We tend to keep our clients. Once we've done a piece of work, they usually become a retained client. And we're there to support them with whatever they need. So it's um, it can be a small business, you know, one or two people just starting up, and they need some contracts, and they need some policies, uh, or they suddenly stuck with a difficult situation that they've not encountered, and we support them. And it can be multinational organisations. So I tend to call it HR support and project management. So for large organisations, yeah. they've got their HR team. They don't need the general HR support, but they've usually got a project that they don't have time to do and get off the ground. So uh, that could be paying grading structures, it can be job evaluation, it can be, I've I've done quite a bit of well-being project work, that sort of thing. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, That's always well needed, isn't it? And makes a difference to your sick absence levels. It, it, It does, it does. And that's the other sort of project that we'll often get involved with in it's it's you know putting in proper absence management procedures mm. training managers into how to deal with absence mm. that's really important because yeah. if you handle it wrong um, you could actually make the situation a lot worse you can make, and a lot of people get very frightened of it I've uh, gone into companies where they've got um, people who have been on their books for years and been off sick because they're so scared of handling it. Yeah. They just, they're not being paid SSP anymore, but they're just on the books, they're part of the headcount, because they just don't know how to deal with it. Right. So, uh, so definitely yeah. needed. Definitely needed. Yeah, so. that's brilliant. So what made you start your business? This is going to sound completely wrong in terms of business plan and everything, but I, I literally fell into it. I, um, I had my first child 30 years ago. I'd been working as what was then personnel manager not a term we use anymore but uh, for a large electronics company and so I took maternity leave and didn't really want to go back to that five day a week structure I wanted flexibility to have my son and more children 
Yeah. And there was a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of grant funding in those days for consultants to support businesses. And I managed to get some grant funding to support a business that was moving to the Lincoln area. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had to be self-employed to do that. So that was fine. I set myself up as self-employed. And one thing led to another, and it was just exactly what I needed. I had the flexibility to pick and choose work. My work came through word of mouth. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a... <laughs> I, you know, it just, I just went from one thing to another, yeah. pootled along, enjoyed it. Um, so that was 30 years ago. I think the world has changed since then. 30 years ago, there weren't people out there providing HR support in that way. Yeah. Uh, it's very different now. There are thousands of HR consultants. Yeah. So, 10 years ago, I rebranded the business, mm -hmm. decided that if I was going to go on, I needed to become more professional about, not the way I worked, my work's no. always professional, but about the way we were branded. Yeah. So I went from being a sole trader to a limited company, Yeah. Uh, got the website going, did all the stuff that you're supposed to do these days, <laughs> try and do my social media, but... I don't enjoy that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, that I'm trying. Yes, I'm, I'm. I'm trying to bring myself into, you know, the, the 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 way businesses need to work these days to promote themselves. Yeah, the the very modern world, which the seems very, very fast-paced yes. at times yes. and um, quite pressurised. Yes. Um, having said that, the you know the flexibility of running your own business is something that. Uh, I continue to enjoy you know, after 30 years. Well, that's it's, brilliant, isn't it? And I think actually starting 30 years ago and moving forward with your business and adapting is the crucial bit, isn't it, yes. I think? Yes, it is. So, so that's really interesting mm. to hear because quite often I talk to um, businesses that have only been going a few years um, and so it's interesting to get a different perspective from somebody who's been going a, quite a long time to, to sort of see the journey. Yes, yes. I think you know, if I was starting again now, yeah. um, I would have to take a very different approach. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a much faster paced, much more competitive world now. Yes, so it I, I've is. been lucky, I think. Yeah, mm. yeah. But that, 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 that's mm. good that you know that and that you've learned from it as you go along yes. as well. Yes. Um, and I find it interesting that you sort of rebranded off 10 years ago and so you clearly realised you needed to be adaptable a bit. Yes. Yes, I think the move to a limited company was a good one and uh, mm. I probably these days you know, seriously recommend to people that they think about doing that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so mm. what key areas in HR do you specialise in? I personally specialise in the generalist HR support, uh, employment legislation, because I'm an employment tribunal lay member. Mm. So I, um, you know, I, I can approach things from the point of view of how not to let this get into an employment tribunal. What would yeah. I not want to see happening if this case <laughs> came in front of a tribunal? That is um, really helpful, isn't it? Which is it? really helpful. Um, I get uh, a lot of my training, obviously, from tribunals. Uh, in fact, the training course for this year came through yesterday. And it's interesting to see they're going to be focusing on gender reassignment. All right. Which uh, will be an interesting topic. But it, what it means is that the employment tribunal work gives me a lot of the background and the framework for what I need to do in my HR yeah. business. 
So there's that. There's the generalist HR support, the support with employment legislation, um, particular projects. For example, I'm trained in job evaluation. Uh, but anything that I don't do, I use associates for. Yeah. So we cover the whole spectrum of anything to do with managing employees. And if it's not my specialist area, I'll bring in a person who can do it. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that's always the best way to work, it, isn't it, collaboration? It, it's very much the best way to do it. Yeah. It means I know absolutely I can offer the best service. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And that's the way I've always been, is that at the end of the day, it's, it's collaboration and knowing your skill sets and where, where you can give the most value, yes. yeah. isn't it? So yeah, that's really interesting. Um, now, mediation. Um, I know I know that you've got a, a little bit of a thing around this, so I wanted to know what tips you would share between employers and managers. I think to be a good mediator, yeah. you have to put a particular head on. I, and that's the way I call it. <laughs> so if I'm going to mediate, I will usually spend the night before trying to get the right head on the right frame of mind because mediation is all about listening to people and helping them to find their way to a solution. I'm not like that as a general rule. As a general rule, I'm somebody who likes to offer solutions yeah. and make things happen. Yeah. So to be a mediator, I, I have to change the way I think. It's very rewarding work. It's very rewarding to get two people who seem to have been locked in dispute, who think they'll never find a way out of it, and to take the time to help them to open up and explore what they can do to be able to work together. They don't have to become best friends, but what can they do to have a day-to-day -day working relationship? So what tips would I give managers who want to mediate? I think it's to... First of all, make sure that the two people involved actually want a resolution because you can't force it. And if they do want a resolution, it's not about telling them what they need to do. Mm. It's about opening them, letting them open up, listening and enabling them to come to a solution. Mm. I uh, was talking to a couple of people recently who had who thought they had mediation before. But when I listened to what had happened, they hadn't had mediation. Mm. And the outcome of the mediation was that they were told to go and have coffee and cake together every two weeks and talk about their differences. Oh, And uh, that is really not mediation. No, that's that is providing isn't. an outcome. That's providing a solution. Which you, you can't put words in their mouth. No. They've got to want to do it. Yes. So, so, so I think mediation is a very special thing. Mm. It's, it's a very difficult job to do. Yeah. And having done it as a manager uh, a couple of times um, it's a very difficult job to do getting it right isn't it and that's why you're better with somebody who's trained in it yes I usually I don't think there's been a single mediation where I haven't got to a point where I think am I going to pull this off is it going to happen <laughs> <laughs> uh, most of the time it works yeah. most of the time we come to a resolution which is great yeah that, and that really yeah. is because that stops it escalating yes. to any further because um, I think that one of the worst things I've ever seen is when we get into the realms of grievances because nobody comes out of it feeling good. No, and grievances are often badly handled yeah. by organisations who seem to feel that you have to find in one person's favour or the other person's favour. Yeah. And um, my approach is always, there's always a bit on both sides and you don't have to have a, an answer which is 
in favour of one person or the other. You have to try and find a way to help people work together. You know, mm. that makes me think of my mother, and she always used to say, six of one and half a dozen of the other. Very often yeah. is. Yeah, and it's true, yes. isn't yes. it? Yes. So well, that's really mm. interesting. Um, so attendance management as well is often a key area in um, for employers and for managers dealing with it. Um, so where do you think managers fall down or not get it quite right? Because fall down is quite harsh, I think. Fall so. down is harsh, but I think... Um, the first thing that's needed, and I try and introduce this even into the smallest businesses we have, is a good procedure. Something which says, okay, everybody's going to be off sick or going to be off, may not be sickness for any reason. Everybody's going to be unable to get into work from time to time. And we totally accept that. And some people will be off more than others, and we completely understand that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we employ people to be at work. Yeah. So we need some triggers, whether it's the Bradford factor or whether it's the number of periods of absence, doesn't really matter. We need something which triggers, something which says, you've got to the point where this is beginning to be too much for us. And then we need to find a resolution. Now that resolution might be, we accept that you have a problem that's going to go on for a while and we're, yeah. we're going to support you through this. But the it may also be that you're having to say to somebody, it's really unfortunate that you keep having a cold. Or yeah. it's really unfortunate that you have all these little incidents that keep you off work for a day or two. Mm. Uh, at the end of the day, it's just, if it's just bad luck, that problem's going to go away. Yeah. So we need to tell you now that if it doesn't go away, we're going to have to warn you that it's unacceptable. And it's very difficult for managers to do this. It's very difficult as well. And what about um, when they're off for a variety of reasons? That, that's really hard as well. I, I think this is it. When it's, a, when it's a variety of reasons, it's very difficult for a manager to say, I don't believe you. Yeah. And actually, there's no reason to say, I don't believe you, because they may be true. Yeah. They may be real reasons. <laughs> but it's not possible to continue to support somebody through having many many absences for all sorts of different reasons mm. so you have to get to the point where you actually say to somebody find out what's going wrong yeah whether it's going to your doctor and saying I'm continually feeling under the weather I'm continually having something wrong with me or whether it's make, you know questioning yourself as to whether you really do need to be off yeah it's about facing up to it and having that conversation with the employee and at yeah. the end of the day making it clear that if it doesn't change they yeah. may end up being dismissed yeah um, and that is very difficult managers don't like doing it that's right it is so um, attendance management is a really tricky area isn't it and I think because we've talked about well-being before we started this podcast, so I think there's something there about making sure that as employers we have some well-being. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well-being uh, action going on. Um, so, and I know that you clearly do packages around that and things like that, don't you? I do um, a lot of dignity at work training. Right. That's what you mean. Yeah. Um, which I love doing and. We do it for managers, but we also do it for employees. Yeah. Because I have a great belief in groups of employees 
learning how to set their own boundaries yep. and enjoy being at work. Mm -hmm. So our dignity at work training always starts with saying that we come to work for a reason. It may be to earn money, it may be for the social aspect, whatever. We come to work for a reason, we want to be happy there. We spend huge amounts of time with our colleagues. So that relationship with colleagues is critical. And if you're in a small group or a large group where there is something that's not right, whether it's banter that you're not happy with, whether it's bullying, whether it's discrimination, whatever it is, that stops people's enjoyment at work. Yeah. And ultimately, they're not going to work so well. And so yeah. the dignity at work looks at things from two angles. It looks at it from the point of view of what is just a sensible way to behave? Yeah. Uh, how do we call out bad behaviour? Yeah. How do we have an organisation that knows what bad behaviour is and sets limits so that if the group can't regulate itself, then the organisation can step in and all employees know where the boundaries are. So we look at that, how to call out bad behaviour, what bad behaviour is, but we also look at it from an employment law point of view. Yeah. So actually understanding what the law says about things like harassment because I find that many managers get very scared that they can't say things or that things shouldn't happen or shouldn't be said yeah. and that fear in itself can make managing employees difficult mm. so we do a lot about what the law says but what is actually practical and yeah. what, what is meaningful yeah yeah and, and it is needed. Um, a recent large organisation that I know of um, had a um, big um, report done on respect at work, which goes back to the same mm. thing. And there were some really bad practices going on that they weren't even aware of at the top. Um, and so there's been some serious work done around that. So um, it's definitely needed, whether it's a large or a small business. Yes. And it's one of the workshops I really enjoy doing because yeah. people always walk away from it saying, wow, I've learnt so much. Yeah, um, no, I can see the use for that. That's really interesting. Um, what's the biggest challenge do you think that you face since being in business? Honestly? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> honestly, it's making sure I account for my time and get my invoices out. Yeah. It's, it's the thing I hate most. I love doing the work. Yeah. I hate if I could do the work for free. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably do it because yeah. it's the invoicing and the accounting for my time. Yeah. Uh, that I have to be very strict about. Uh, and it's hard, it, isn't it? The, the administration takes a lot more time than you realise. Yeah, it is. And the amount of businesses I see fall down um, from having interacted with them, where they don't send out their invoices, mm. they forget, yes. and it's just like you've lost money there. Yes. So it is something you have to be tight on, yes. isn't it? So that's a really good tip, actually, for all our business owners that are listening in. Yes, and it's and, and also when you take I, my uh, my daughter now works for the business, I'm hoping maybe that she'll take it on when I when I decide yes, to, to, to nice retire. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's getting her to account for her time as well. Yeah. And so she is understanding that, um, you know, some of the time, some of the work she does is billable work. Some of the work she does is not billable work. Yeah. Uh, and it's really important for her to account for the time that I can bill out, that I can charge out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. It is. It is. It, it's been very clear, isn't it? And I must admit, until I've always been a bit erred on the being a bit generous mm -hmm. and often doing things where probably it's taking me double the amount of time but I've only charged for half of it yes. but over the recent months I've realised I can't keep doing that 
So it's a hard one, isn't it's it? A as a business yes. owner, when yes. you love what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. So it's a good point. So, um, what do you think makes a business owner a good leader? And do you think a business owner is a leader? I think a business owner should be a leader. Yeah. Uh, frankly, when I look at all the business owners that I work with, the small business owners, I'm hard pressed to see one that's a good leader. And that is not necessarily a criticism of them. They're very good at running their businesses, but they're not leaders. Yeah. And the reason they're not leaders is because very often they started the business, it's their business. Yeah. They, were, they were in control. They then employ people and it's very difficult to let go. Yeah. Most of the business owners I work with are either extraordinarily busy themselves and don't have time to lead. Yeah or they simply can't let go and much as they say they want to delegate yeah. they will jump in and override yeah and so a lot of the work that we do is about supporting managing directors to let go to delegate to build their teams uh, to understand what jobs their people really are doing and should be doing mm. and giving their employees responsibility for managing themselves and you know funnily enough I would have said exactly the same thing um, it's really interesting it's because it's their baby they started yes. it and they really struggle to let go don't yes. they so yes. yeah so that's a really interesting point and if you're doing it you need to think about it because you know actually you could have more free time if you learn to um, delegate and um, just do the bits you really love doing and yes. I think it's the key message there and I think we've all got bits we absolutely detest. I hate admin, so there you go. Yes, so, yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. What would be your number one piece of advice for people who want to start their own business? I think understanding that there's going to be a huge pain barrier to start with. You know, yeah. That, that, that realisation that either I've left my salaried job to start my own business and ah, here I am sitting here on the first morning and I've got no work. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. can be a very frightening yeah. thing. Uh, so being sure that it really is something that you're prepared to push through is the first thing. And then I think I would say after that, it's recognising, I think you've just touched on it, it's recognising what your weaknesses are. Uh, you can't be everything, so knowing what your skills are yeah. and then making sure you get support for the weak areas. Yeah. And, and making sure as you grow, you don't let problems drown you. So if you've got cash flow problems, you maybe bring in somebody who can be your credit controller. Or if yeah. you've got HR problems, you bring in somebody who can support you in HR. And don't yeah. let problems overwhelm you and not allow you to focus on what you're good at. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the conversations we've had before we started was around problem solving. So my piece of advice would be don't let... Um, problems mount up which yeah. is what Jane's saying anyway um, and um, think about actually solving them so don't don't just push them into the corner because it just gets you nowhere absolutely uh, and and to talk to your staff and understand what yeah. they want and what they think and then make a plan for resolving it yeah I'm yeah. amazed at how much insight um, staff always have that you can really tap into and their ideas and you can really grow your business if you do. Yes. Don't yes. you? So, there you go. We're on the same wavelength anyway. So, oh, we've got some more noise coming on. 
Um, right, so we're on the final question. What's the biggest tip you would share with other business owners for them to take away from this podcast? I think that's what we really just talked about. Yeah. It's, it, for, for any business owner, it's recognise your skills. Make sure that you can focus on those by not allowing other problems to build up and prevent you from doing your core business. Yeah, and I think that's a really good tip. Well, we're at the end of the session. I could have spoken to Jane for ages because actually I feel that there is quite a lot of like-mindedness there and both of us want have a passion for what we're doing, which is always um, wonderful to see. So thank you so much for your time, Jane. And uh, It's been nice talking to you. Thanks, Nicola. Thank you, Jane. This is the People Mentor signing off. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you need any help or advice, please contact Nicola on Nicola Richardson at thepeoplementor.co.uk. The People Mentor, driving your business forward.